0: and welcome to another edition of Bombercast for Mid-Trade Week 2022.
1: This is your host, the Grizz, here with Bonsa. How are you, Bonsa? I'm good, Grizz, and uh, I'm thinking that that tomorrow I might send the resume through to uh, Tuller Marine and see if they uh, want me to come in and be CEO for the day. <laughs> well, it sounds like it is
0: like uh, everyone gets to go at the moment on the Essendon executive. I will start there, I guess, because it is Trade Week and generally Essendon is... In the news come trade week, but generally because of how hard Duro is to deal with, or a big trade target that we've targeted but not coughing enough picks up for. No, this week, if you haven't heard, uh, Andrew Thorburn was hired, I think was it Tuesday or Wednesday as the CEO of the Essen Football Club and then resigned 24 hours later uh, as a result of links to a Melbourne-based church City on a hill being made public or not being made public, they were always public, but being raised in the Herald Sun. Bonds. I'll get your thoughts on it first. This isn't a, a political or a faith-based podcast, so we probably won't get into the greater concept of, you know, faith and Uh, workplace rights but how did you see uh, what happened at Essendon uh, with Andrew Thorburn over those 24 hours?
1: Yeah it's a tough one because I mean his time at NAB was obviously fairly clouded as we saw with the Royal Commission and, and I won't go into too many details and bore our listeners but at the same time from all reports he did run a fairly inclusive workplace at NAB which is obviously what I think was the overriding issue in the end was was the concerns over how inclusive he would be based on his association with the church. But I suppose at the end of the day, the, the club has a very—I mean—that we have the Purple Bombers, um, who are a very, very dear part of the Eastern Football membership base. Um, we, you know, we obviously have our AFLW side now. We have—we you know, have a whole heap of of leading initiatives when it comes to inclusiveness in our game. And I'm not sure that Andrew's position as chairman of that church necessarily measures whether or not he would have you know tried to enforce his views. i mean i don't think he would have i don't think he would have enforced his views. i think he if second he tried to he would have been gone but at the end of the day i think if you're going to be associated with a with a with an organization that may or may not be inclusive and look i'll be honest i haven't dived deep into what they believe because it's and not wasn't of great interest to me. I think the the, the simple thing is you have to go. And I, the problem I've got, I think, which is a greater issue than, than perhaps even Andrew Thorburn going, is the fact that the club claims they didn't know about it. I mean, it's a Google search. It takes two yeah. seconds. It took somebody on Twitter 30 seconds to raise it. So, you know, yeah. due diligence. It's, it's a key word at Essendon and It seems to have reared its ugly head again.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know how I feel necessarily about the Woody having run an inclusive workplace in terms of how relevant that is because i think his time at nab and bank in new zealand shows that he can do that so i think the question i think van der put a really good fine point on it in the thread a couple times and a couple other posters did it was less probably in terms of who he was individually as a person and more like you said the position he held as chairman of City on a hill who knows maybe if he um, if he stood down as chairman before he got the CEO gig, it might have changed things. I don't think it would have. I thought, I think as soon as the link was sort of made, so as soon as the link made mainstream news, the social media mob came after it, rightly or wrongly. It really was just an optics space thing, from what I can tell, uh, just from the outside looking in, it was about holding a position as the chairman of what is a very conservative church I've heard a bit about City on Hill I know people who actually go to the one in Melbourne it is a very socially conservative church in that regard and an organization which seeks to be inclusive I think that what you said about due diligence is really important though because if it is an optics-based decision then someone needed to pick up on the risk of the optics at some point and you know, EY, so Ernst and Young, the the um, consultancy organization currently doing the CEO search and doing next interview, apparently didn't look it up. Dave Barham, I think, said recently that they didn't ask him about his faith in the interview because that would have been illegal. It is illegal to ask that question, but apparently it's not illegal to exclude
1: based on, uh, based on your faith. But yeah, you know, that's it. So it's, it's, it's a tough one.
0: Yeah. And Sorry. I I, th- I think, well, technically he resigned, but it's interesting if he stood up and said, no, I'm not resigning it either, what Essen would have done. But my thing on it as well is if you knew he was going to be, if you knew he was chairman of City on Hill, which I think they knew and they were happy to re- like sign him as CEO regardless then you needed to back him or not or not hire him at all. It, it had to be one of the two. You had to crap or get off the pot, right? You couldn't hire him and then force him to resign 24 hours later because now they look stupid and they probably are. Look, the last 20 years and especially the last eight weeks shows that we're not very smart as an organization. But, you know, people probably don't care about Andrew Thorburn, but good luck to him getting a CEO job at a major company in the next, what, two years. Like they've torched his professional prospects
1: uh for the short term at least like it's just a no-win situation yeah they have but i suppose when you've been CEO of NAB you're probably not sure to crust so i think you'll you'll probably he'll probably <laughs> yeah. muddle well, through it. the next couple of years i mean yeah. you know at the end of the day what's Hurdy what's up to he could always come on and see oh, you
0: oh don't even there's those rumors going around and i just about threw my
1: phone through a, a window when i saw it i don't think those rumors have any any sort of basis in reality i as, as much admiration I have for, for James Heard, I don't think uh, CEO of a football club is something that he's necessarily equipped to, no matter how many blocks of chocolate he has managed to sell over his time. Yeah, so I
0: suppose the next question I wanted to ask you is sort of surrounds the board. And I think the CEO appointment and um, the resignation of Thorburn shows to a greater sort of dysfunctionality within our board and how we're making decisions. It sounds like Barham's just shooting from the hip at the moment, and we'll get to Barham in a little bit, but there was a news article that came out through News Corp, uh, namely the Herald Sun, but it's obviously been distributed amongst her other papers uh, since then regarding an attempted coup, I wanna call it. Um, Sort of, I don't know how to explain it. Sheedy thinking he's playing 4D chess when he's actually playing checkers to try James Heard as coach. To, to put a fine point on it, he basically crossed the floor from uh, the Brasher side of the boardroom to the Barham side um, to oust uh, the Brasher side and get removed, thinking that he... And this is amazing, thinking he and Barham would be the sole decision makers in the coaching search and that this search through EY and the coaching process would be a sham, um, which is why when Scott got the job and Barham didn't vote for Heard, he went off his chops and <laughs> we went through the Herald Sun. It just seems like the board, even though we've cleaned out half of it, it's just a mess, bounce
1: well, it depends on where you look at it. Because I, I, look, I don't think you can talk about this without talking about Dave Barham either. And and you know his first press conference wasn't great. The Thorburn move and game wasn't great. But you know, was it Was that his captain's pick? I don't I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that was a board move as a whole. So I think the the whole board needs to wear it. But it does appear to me that he is trying to undercut. The boys' club that has existed, and he's trying to at very at the very least trying to sideline the coteries, you know Kevin Sheedy and, and whoever else you want to put there that, that we've been crying out as as holding the club back for the last well you know 20 years. I mean Sheedy hasn't been there the whole 20 year period, but it is it is I, I said on the board and I say it again: it is classic Kevin Sheedy to think there would be a process involved to select a new coach, and at the end of it. His word would override everything. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, it's just not the way the world works anymore, and it hasn't worked that way since the mid 90s, yeah. And I think
0: uh, I don't know if that was very really good gamesmanship by Barham for letting him think that maybe thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll get sheeted across the floor because he's anti truck, knowing that he'll probably want heard, but there's other six other board members and, and it was six by the time Andrew Wells joined that we'll be able to outvote him if we want, if he wants Heard as coach. And it, it sort of, for me, that art, that story joins a few dots for me. Cause I couldn't for the life of me figure out why heard was told to a told by someone within the club to apply, but then the coaching panel said, you know, you need more experience. But when you think about it, you know, that, Invitational apply probably came from herd or one of the coteries that were pro came from sheedy sorry one of the coteries aligned with sheedy um so technically it's within the club it's from a board member but the coaching panel probably weren't too interested and it sounds like he had a great interview which is fine but for all the reasons we've litigated it just never made sense to him to be the coach what are your thoughts on sort of bar in general my thoughts are he's a bit of a corporate brawler is the, the term people use. His nature to change comes, you know, makes a few, bloodies a few noses, makes a whole bunch of change. Those sorts of presidents don't tend to last very long from my experience in the corporate f- sphere, but they're good for, I suppose, shaking a joint up and a bit like a bushfire sort of takes out a whole section of a bush. There's new sort of plants that grow up um, that need a bushfire in order to to grow and to seed. And I don't know if Barham's just that bushfire that needed to come through the board at the time he did just to clean out the old and even if he only lasts six to 12 months, start the club on a new
1: course. I think the best description of Dave Barham I saw written on our board this week is he's not a president that's there when you win the flag, but he's the president that gets changes that gets you to the position to win the flag. Yeah. Um, and, and I think your agent of change speech there was 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 quite accurate. And, and I think, look, at the end of the day, I, I think he's been very good in getting the change. Now, as I said, his first press conference where uh, somebody said, you know, is Xavier's job safe? And he said, Well, he has a contract, and so and they immediately turned around and said, Well, so does Rutten. and he just looked like a deer in the headlines. <laughs> um, you know, that that, that wasn't great. You know, he clearly did hasn't had a lot of media interaction before, especially in that sort of space where you know the questions aren't pre-recorded or you're not se- you're not you know, you're not sent the list prior to, to study up on it and 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 uh, yeah the Andrew Thorburn appointment because it ended so abruptly and and the way it did was was nothing short of a of a, a, a mistake. Um, but other than that I mean you know he crossed the floor he, he managed to get sheets across the line seemingly, under false pretenses but you know it was confident that it wouldn't come back to bite him which it turns out it hasn't because really I think at the moment most of uh, the Eston faithful are sort of over to be honest I think most of us are looking to move him on um, which is probably something I wouldn't have thought six months ago I would have said six months ago that Kevin Sheedy was locked into Eston for as long as Kevin Sheedy wanted to be there and that that nothing would change but I think his actions over the past few months and it's his actions have come about the last couple of weeks. And I think he's actually coming up because he's been outmaneuvered by Barron. Um, certainly seems to me that there's a lot more push for sheets to move on. So, so I think he's been good. I mean, you know, you know Xavier Campbell clearly been there too long, move him on tick. See you later. Um, there were several people who'd been at Essendon. I think far too long on our board. Simon Madden was one of them. Simon Madden was a legend of the football club. And from what I could see, he was doing, a, doing everything right from the, from the board side of view, but you know, he'd been there a while. We, we need fresh blood. So I, I think Burham is going to go down as probably one of the least liked Eston presidents because of the fact that he's taken on all these these champions in, in Madden and Hurd and Sheedy and Take Your Pick. But I think he's going to go down as one of the, the most effective ones that we've, we've really needed because, you know, if the rumors are true and Adrian Dodoro moves on um, at the end of trade period, then who's left, really, apart yeah. from Sheedy sitting on the board and, and seemingly has no power anyway. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? So you
0: know, it's like at the end of a Batman movie, it's like not the hero, then you know, the hero that they, the hero we need, but not the one we deserve. And but I would stop short sure of calling him a hero. And something that I don't know if I read it on Big Forty, but maybe it was an estimator of mine told me, he goes, "You're not ch- the way that the coteries and the board were so entrenched, how they were to supplant that was never going to be clean. It was never going to be." Well, sort of like Collingwood was last year. Now Collingwood was a much smaller board. I think there's only seven or eight on their board and sort of Eddie Maguire ran that club with an iron fist and total control for a while. But to get those people that you're talking about, those deeply entrenched Essendon people with the backing of the Coteries out and to get new people in, you know, he was always going to have to bloody some noses. It was always going to be messy. And I think that's a, probably a salient point and, I imagine the success of Barham's tenure won't be known until five or six years from now. Because, you know, if in five or six years we're successful, we'll be able to point it back to this time when all the changes we knew needed to be made. Xavier Campbell, who seemingly, you know, one of the least talked about things this week was the fact that Michael Lombardi, a world-renowned sports management expert, came into the club in 2019 and Campbell buried the report. Like yeah, like how is that not more news? But that sort of stuff, you know, changed. And if in five or six years' time we're we're worse off or the same, then he'll just be go down as another sort of benign president. But. I suppose the goal of this uh, podcast at the start of this week was going to be trade week um, because lo and behold, outside of Essendon, there is a trade period going on. You wouldn't know because Essendon hasn't got a lot going on. We did target Jack Bowes from the Gold Coast Suns who somehow was being paired with pick seven. And we can talk about that in a second, which seems overly um, ridiculous to me. How do you feel about Geelong getting Jack Bowes and the um and the massaging of his contract and somehow the premier getting pick seven
1: uh, out of the Gold Coast for it. Look, I, I I have no issues with it. I mean, I I know that I know there's a lot of outrage at the moment, but I, I think I said on the board at the time that a lot of the outrage from the Essendon people are the fact that he's not coming to Essendon Because I think a lot of us saw saw pick seven and went, Oh, here we go, free free pick, beauty, You beauty. Um then it turns out it's going to Geelong and so all of a sudden it, it um yeah, it's 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 unfair and, and the AFL should step in. I mean, you know, I think there was, qu- was quite a few times and it, it sort of started to drive me a little bit crazy towards the end, but Melbourne and Sydney was brought up. Melbourne and Sydney had a trade where the points were, um, weren't were equal and the AFL dumped that trade. You know, it was either last year or the year before. The re- reality is the AFL changed the rules and actually changed the rules prior to anybody knowing that, that this was what Gold Coast were going to do. Um, yep. I th- yeah, Maybe the AFL had some suspicion that they were going to do something similar to this, but they did change the rules so salary cap dumps are now um allowed so to try and point to a previous deal under the old rules and go well that didn't get through so this one shouldn't is just a little bit silly but yeah i have no issues with salary cap dump trades um the fact that it went that's going to be geelong i mean that's just you know it's just geelong, isn't it they're just a very well-run organization and 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 again they've just beaten everybody else to the punch by being a well-run organization so more power to them i mean you can argue that we'll end up with a premier league style competition where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But you know, if, if we'd gone a little bit harder at bows or we'd said, you know, the right thing here or there and we'd be getting pick seven and Jack bows and, and we'd be celebrating and laughing and thinking it's the greatest thing in the world.
0: Yeah. So for the record, my view on it is very much the same, like good for Geelong because first, this is what happens when you're a successful, well-run organization, people will, take less money to come, pay, come play for you. And they'll take less money uh, or they'll stretch money out. And a lot's been made of the lifestyle in Geelong. And 10, 15 years ago, you were you couldn't get people to go to Geelong. It was sort of a backwater town. And I know people that live in Geelong, like it hasn't changed that much in 10 or 15 years. It's just Geelong are now a really well-run organization and people want to come play for them. Just like, you know, James Frawley and Brian Lake and uh, David Hale wanted to go play for Hawthorne when they were successful and when players were going to Sydney when they were successful. It's just how it works. And stop crying about it, Essendon, and become one of those clubs. Like, Essendon's 15 minutes away from, like, you know, the greater sort of Gisborne, Sunbury area. So, like, and Romsey and those sorts of areas where there's plenty of great lifestyle living. So they should be selling that. But people don't want to come to Essendon because it's a basket case at the moment. So I don't really have an issue with it either. Good for them. I think what we should really delineate, though, is why did Gold Coast package up pick seven? So the reason they packaged up pick seven was because that's what it was worth to them to get the entirety of his contract off their books. So they could have said, oh, we just want to get rid of Jack Bowes and maybe a few teams would have sniffed around. They probably would have had to pay maybe a portion of it Maybe they have to pay half, like it's a troll deal where Collingwood's still on the hook for 300 of the 900 maybe a team is, they're paying 250 But to them, like, no, no, we want to get all of it off our books. We need to incentivize it. And so to them, the value of getting Jack Bowes off their books altogether was worth pick seven. And if that's what they valued that cap space at to keep guys like Rao and Anderson and Ainsworth and, and King down the line, then good for them. I think it was slightly gratuitous. They had plenty of other picks they could offer it up, but good for them. What happens to Jack Bowes and his contract at Geelong is of no concern to the Gold Coast. The the pick seven was a value to get him off their books, and clearly Jack Bowes valued money, uh, valued lifestyle and opportunity, in a club that seemingly was interested in him long before pick seven was ever a thing, which I don't blame him for, to be honest.
1: No, and and they do have holes in their midfield that I think he can he can potentially fill if he comes yeah. on, and and. The thing about which a lot of people are getting upset about is the fact they renegotiated his contract. Well, the simple fact of the matter is that the Gold Coast could have done the exact same if they wanted to. But as you said, they don't want him on their books anymore. They don't want Jack Bowes' contract there at all under any circumstances. So they've decided to move him on. They could have very easily themselves spread their spread his contract over the next four years. But he might have said to them, "I'm not prepared to sign with you for you know two extra two extra years on top of this because I've already pushed back my money." And this is this is the thing. He's not getting paid $850,000 a year because Gold Coast think he's worth that. He's had money pushed back. So yeah. his contract, I think, was three or four years. And and as a result of that that contract, he's now owed a buttload of money because they haven't, Paid it to him. They've gone. Look, can we just push this back into next year? Can we just push this back? And he's done the right thing by them. So I have a feeling that, that one of the reasons they haven't been able to renegotiate the contract with Jack is because he's turned around and gone. I've already done this for you guys. I, I, you know, at, at some point you're going to have to pay me, and you're not paying me now. So I want to go to a club that's going to appreciate me better. Turns out, as you said, it's Geelong because they showed interest before he was packaged up with Pick Seven. So yeah, I, I don't have any issues with Geelong. didn't. I don't have any issue with Salary Cap. Cap Dump and I certainly don't have issues with re- uh, renegotiating contracts once a player uh, moves clubs.
0: Yeah. I think from an optics point of view, they'll probably change something next year. I think the AFL, because it, like it, they they probably don't want this sort of deal. I think this deal is a one of one. Not many other clubs have a top 10 pick that they can just throw away like the Gold Coast do. And the Gold Coast, if you look at some of the trades have done for high picks, like they've traded, I think, a pick 10 for pick 27 once. Like, they're, I think the greater questions have to be asked about Gold Coast fr- frugality with their picks, but I think throwing pick seven in for a salary dump is such a one-of-one. One. It's not going to happen very often because teams don't generally have top 10 picks they can just throw away like that. But we'll move on to actually things that are happening regarding Essendon. We'll go with someone looking to bring actually, we'll go with someone looking to shift out, probably, or well, not looking to shift out. That's likely going to be shift out. Aaron Francis looks like he's going to be done. Uh, for a third round pick to Sydney or a future third round pick. What's your thoughts on that deal? I think it's it's probably good for all involved. I think he needs a break from Essendon. Sydney need a player like him in their background, and I think Essendon um could use the list spot.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll be disappointed to see uh, Aaron go because I've always. Always thought highly of him. I did so I think I said at the start of the year in this podcast that he was the player I was most excited because he finally found a position they were going to play me one. And then they about three weeks into the season he got, I think he got injured. And then when he came back, they just threw him from end to end in the VFL, and it was sort of a case of why can't he hold a spot down? And it was like well because they're not giving him a spot to hold down. He's he's been told to flip flop. I mean the reason Carl Hooker was such a good um, swingman is because. We gave him an extended run in both positions, and then he, be, yep. you know, and then he became an amazing swingman as a result of it. Um, because, I mean, apart from that one goal he kicked against um, Hawthorne to win the game, when James Brayshaw said, "What the bloody hell are you do are you doing down there?" He really wasn't a great forward until we gave him an extended run, and then he became a great forward, and we were able to flick him back and forth without too much um, issue. But. Yeah, it's third rounder. It's probably about right. It's it's disappointing to an end um, for, for Aaron at Eston. And it's even more frustrating because I have a feeling yeah. that Sydney are going to turn him into a star if they manage to keep him in the back line.
0: Yeah, well, he's a very Sydney type of player, isn't it? You think about that sort of 6'4 intercept marking type. You know, they've got a couple in Tom McCartan, Paddy McCartan, Dane who plays that role. It's into Will Gould they've got who was a first round pick up there he hasn't played yet he plays a very similar role I don't know how much he's going to play up there but I think for his career he needs a break and I think I think we've stuffed his development over his entire career to be honest and he had some horrific breaks in terms of family stuff that happened off the field um, homesickness he wasn't one of the guys that dealt well with COVID you know he's not alone there plenty of guys struggled with that so I'm not you know, blaming him necessarily for that. But I think if you were to play, you know, to the Bill Simmons scenario, if you were to sort of simulate his career a hundred times, I think this is probably one of the 15 to 20 worst versions that could have come out for a variety of different things that were probably outside of his control and and some that were um, unfortunately with his fitness and stuff. But uh, that pick that we're going to get, for Aaron Francis and good luck to him. We I mean that in all genuine uh, concern. Good luck to him in Sydney. Uh, it looks like that deal is going to that. Sorry, that pick from that deal is going to get shipped straight to Carlton for Will Setterfield. Bit of deja vu. I feel like it's uh, twenty eighteen uh, where it's targeting Will Setterfield as a big body midfielder. Um, this time from Carlton, not GWS. He played 12 games for Carlton this year, came in late and played a couple of games inside midfield with George Hill Matt Kennedy out and did okay. What's your thoughts on getting Will Setterfield
1: in? Yeah, he did okay. I think it's probably the most generous way you can describe it, isn't it? (laughs) Did okay, yeah. (laughs) Look, I mean, look, we haven't seen him be the man inside. You know, GWS are obviously a stacked midfield and then obviously Carlton, he's got, you know, Paddy Cripps and Sam Walsh and, and others in front of him there as well. Um, I think if you look to when he first moved across to Carlton in 2019 and he saw that was sort of when he was able to really uh, do it without too much, I think, you know, Cripps in front of him, not much else at the time. You know, he still only had 17 touches a game. It, it's not an inspiring pick, but if, if you'd said to me this time last year that we were getting Will Brody, I probably would have said the same thing. It's not an inspiring pick. It's it's a pick that I think, I mean, we finally are feeling what I think is a need in the big body midfielder. But a, a little cynical part of me does go, are we doing that because we've identified this or are we doing this because he's the one that got away from Adrian Dodoro at the end of 2018? Yeah, so <laughs> that's the burning question. I think,
0: well, we've... Over this offseason, we've been linked to Jack Bytel, we've been linked to Liam Stock, we've been linked to the uh, to him. So I think it's it, it seems like we've genuinely identified big-bodied midfield players as someone that we need to target. As far as list balance go, out Francis in center field, I don't mind it. Um, we need more midfielders. I think we've got a few guys in that sort of third, second or third tall position. So from a balanced perspective, I don't mind it. Look, it, it, it's probably going to be a cheapish deal. You know, we've got $1.6 million in cap before we hit the cap floor. So we need to find someone to pay. We'll probably bring some some contracts forward. I don't mind it as just a, a throw at the dartboard, even if he's just David Myers in the sense that, He's a big-bodied mid that throws his weight around at, at stoppages. I th- I don't think he's going to supplant Shield and uh, Caldwell and Parrish. Maybe Caldwell as inside mids, but he'll be a big body that we can throw around in there to carve out some space and block. The other thing with um, him is a uh, Carlton made mine says they slimmed him down. He came to the club at about 85 at Carlton, and they, he got up to about 91 to play as an inside midfield, and then they slimmed him down to play on a wing. So he, we might see his body, his body shape change over summer into a genuine, sort of a tall, bulky inside mid to sort of play that bash and crash role. But I think it's more a throw at the dartboard than anything. And I don't think, when you look at the draft, you know, there's a few gun midfielders at the top, but they're not that big body type. So if we did want to fill that role, we're probably
1: going to have to do it via trade. Just one stat about the uh, the thing is we're hoping he's going to be the big body inside midfielder. So Will's played 57 games in just nine games. He had more contested possession than uncontested possessions. Yeah. Right. So, so (laughs) the hope that he's going to be this contested possession beast, I think is one that just hasn't shown in his previous games. I mean, you know, nine out of 57 has he had more contested than uncontested. That's, that's not filling me with confidence. But as I said, if I uh, if you'd said that if we said we were going to get Will Brody at the end of last year, I, I probably would have said the same thing. Although having said that, I think Will showed a lot more uh, in the reserves than than, than <laughs> Will than Will has. And by that I mean obviously Brody has shown more in the reserves than uh, than than did this year. So look, it'll be a pick that I. I mean, I think he'll probably get a chance with us. Whether or not he takes it, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll be interested to see anyway. Yeah,
0: like I said, I think the role they had in playing on a wing at different points at Carlton, which probably explains the – at some point, but you were right, he played a lot more inside midfield earlier in his time at Carlton and – Look, not every top ten pick works out, and he was picked five or six, I think, in twenty sixteen when we took Andy McGrath, and maybe he's just not as good as we thought he would be at that age. And to throw at the stumps, see how it goes. But yeah, it at the end might- of the day, it's a third,
1: it's a third round pick, and yeah, you what know, are the odds? So yeah. I, I think I think we I think it's been done before. The odds, of the odds of a third round pick, you know. Getting up and becoming a, a two hundred game player, or less than less than ten percent. So you may as well have a shot at the stumps and see what happens.
0: Yeah, and if you if you just trading him, trading him in for the pick that you traded that you got Aaron Francis for, you know, <laughs> so yeah, you're basically yeah, swapping. swap you're playing. You're swapping. You know, Francis for field. I feel like that's net balance, not necessarily positive or negative either way. But um, that's all right. But it, it doesn't look like we we've got much. Um, else to this trade period, it's interesting that Brisbane and, and. GWS are playing silly buggers, but I haven't heard the hard to deal with tag left. Apparently, that's only reserved for Dodoro. Brisbane's well, Matt
1: Rendell tried. Matt Rendell tried it with uh, Geelong, who then promptly did a trade the next day and showed that he really doesn't have much idea. But there is there is one question I just want to throw to you, Grizz, before we wrap up this evening, and it's not Essendon related. It's just it's just something I want I want to ask. So Jason Horn Francis, we we know that he has requested <laughs> a trade to Port Adelaide. He wants to go home now. I think I said on the board at the time that there are extenuating circumstances that don't seem to be getting a lot of run in the media at the moment about, you know, his stepfather. Yep. So I think that's sort of and I don't want to talk about why he wants to go home because I but I will just say that I think those extenuating circumstances to me make it a more palatable personal choice. I don't have any issues based on on those circumstances, him wanting to go home. I don't think it makes him the um the crybaby tosser that North Melbourne fans would have you believe at the moment. But what I do want to ask you is North Melbourne fans are convinced that they should be getting, you know, two top five draft picks, you know, three, three first rounders, all this sort of rubbish. Jason Horn Francis went pick one last year. Now at the end, at the end of the day, he should have gone pick two because North Melbourne should have bid on Nick Dacos. They didn't, so bully them, but they should have. If they now turn around and get pick two for Jason Horn Francis plus something else, have they actually lost out on anything here? Because that's that's what it sounds like it's going to be at the moment. At the moment, it seems like they're going to give up pick one to get uh, pick three and 12 or something from GWS. And then pick two is going to come from West Coast because adjacent to France is going to go to Port Adelaide. So, so what have North actually lost? I mean, you can argue they've lost 12 months of development, but I also think that based on what he performed last year and based on, you know, some of his attitude during the year, he probably wouldn't have if you drafted now he wouldn't go pick 1 or 2 so so have north actually lost anything here what what am i missing why is yeah. jason horn francis suddenly but so much more valuable now than what he was last year okay so i would write off
0: this year at north melbourne from a form standpoint they sucked and it did not sound like a, a happy locker room they fired david noble i think that club, uh, the CEO was on the nose all year, you know, the Clarkson thing's been done to death in the middle. Like this year's been a shambles for North. I think they have lost out because they had a deal on the table last year from Adelaide, which would have blown away anything they had this year. Um, And I'm on the record of saying they're bonkers for not having accepted that Adelaide deal last year, which I think would have been essentially for last year, which was Josh Rochelle for this year. And it would have been melbourne's first round pick which is 14 for their first, second which would have been 19 so i think that's a much better deal obviously um than they're going to get now um but that's all in hindsight isn't it we could have traded joe danaher first you know whatever but yeah. Yeah. um so so, so so
1: just now knowing what you know now and how jason yeah. North is now if they get pick two for him have they actually lost anything
0: no, because they have pick one, so they would have first choice either way, but they'll get, they'll give pick one to GWS in this mooted major deal. No, probably not, other than the 12 months of development, which wasn't really much of development considering how the year went, as we've discussed. They probably haven't lost too much. It's, I think what they've lost is the optics battle. Trading your first-round pick one year in, um, I think Tom Boyne's the only one who did that from GWS to the Bulldogs, so they've probably lost sort of the optics battle, but in terms of draft capital, probably not. Like you said, if they didn't pick Horn Francis, they would have picked Dacos, which would have matched and they would have gone with someone like Sam Darcy who would have got matched for the other Bulldogs. So you would have been on Finn McGinn Finn McCallaghan or or Joshua Shelley, who is nowhere near the talent that Jason Horn Francis is. So um I don't think they've lost
1: out materially. It's just it's not a great look. Yeah, I, I, the only other player I can think comes to mind, and he didn't go pick one, but but Nathan Buckley was obviously a very high pick for the um the, the Brisbane Bears, and then they traded him immediately next year to Collingwood. Yeah, and that was
0: probably a different... He was a, a zone selection, I think. He was, yes. From Brisbane, um, for Brisbane, because he, he was from the NT. But, uh, yeah, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Anyway, look, we're probably going to have to wrap it up there only a few days left in trade week we don't anticipate much is going to happen but if something drastic does happen in the next sort of week or so we'll we'll probably jump on and have a chat otherwise Bont, it's been great to having you. it's been great to have you again thanks mate it's been a pleasure as always no problems well that's going to be us for today i don't know when the next pod's going to be up but thanks for listening uh, like subscribe tell your friends uh share it around and we'll see you when we see you <laughs>